All right, we're just going to look at uh, one verse today. Uh, we're actually going to be uh, starting in on a new series uh, over the summer uh, on the book of, uh, uh, book of Ephesians, and it's going to be a good series, and I've kind of uh, titled the series, uh, You're Richer Than You Think. You may uh, you have to click back on the PowerPoint there, Dave. Yeah, there we go. Uh, know the, the Scotiabank ad, you know, you're richer than you think. Actually, they're probably richer than we think, uh, but uh, I mean, they go in the bank and they're like, oh, we have more money than we thought. And, and really, this is what this whole book is about, uh, that, that we are far more rich than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. We're not just talking about physical money, but, but when it comes to spiritual life and emotional life and who we are as individuals, that we are incredibly blessed. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how we've been blessed in, in every way. We have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, and we're going to be talking through that. And one of the major themes of Ephesians is identity. And most uh, commentators and theologians will look at the book of Ephesians and say that one of the major themes is, is who we are. Uh, who we are as people, who we are as individuals, who we are as in Christ, how should we carry ourselves, how should we live out our lives, because our identity affects the way we live and our reality, and, and this book covers a lot about identity. But we're just going to look at one verse today, and let me just read it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul, and he's the guy who wrote this book, and he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So uh, Paul, who wrote many of the books in the New Testament, wrote this letter. He's actually in a Roman prison when he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now Ephesus is uh, today actually in modern day Turkey. Uh, there it is. And uh, a long time ago, you should actually have a harbor right there and and there's the city. It's uh, not really a city anymore. It's just kind of an archaeological dig. But the ocean now is uh, many uh, kilometers away from, uh, right from the city. But there are some pretty amazing features in Ephesus. In fact, Basil and Cheryl were in Ephesus, I think, last year or two years ago. Or, uh, and uh, they probably were right in this uh, gigantic amphitheater, which held over 20,000 people. And it was so well designed that you could actually speak with a whisper and, and anyone could, could hear it. And uh, it was actually a major town. It was kind of the happening place to live. It also at one time housed one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. The great big temple of uh, Artemis was in Ephesus. Now Paul, who wrote this letter, actually spent uh, two years in Ephesus teaching the people. He, he was a church planner. He goes there. He finds there's a, a little group of Christians and he begins to teach them. And this revival takes over Ephesus while Paul is there. And some pretty, pretty incredible things happen. Like in Acts chapter 19, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. And so, I mean, it was just this amazing revival. The spirit was so incredible that even Paul's hankies were being taken, and they were actually healing people. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? God started taking our napkins and blessing them, and, and people were just healed. Uh, so many people came to know Jesus in Ephesus that it says this in Acts 19. Uh, many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. 
when they calculated the value of the scrolls, uh, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which today would be actually millions of dollars. I mean, scrolls are very expensive back in those days, but uh, they were so in love with Jesus. Their lives were so changed that they were taking their precious scroll, scrolls to deal with so sorcery and, and spiritualism, and, and they burnt them all. It was a very spiritual place. And we're going to see that Paul talks a lot about rulers and principalities and, and the spiritual realm. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But uh, there's a story in Acts chapter 19. Because of this revival, this is the, the goddess Artemis. And she's like this multi-breasted god, which looks, she's kind of like a grape or something. But uh, they, the craftsmen would make all these little statues. And Acts chapter 19 tells us that the craftsmen who made these statues and sold them uh, so many people came to know Jesus that they were not buying these statues anymore. And they were losing all this money because everybody was turning to Christ. And, and they started this, this riot in, in Acts 19. It says they all ended up in this temple in Ephesus. And there for two hours they were chanting, Great is uh, God of the uh, Ephesians. Uh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it ended up in that very amphitheater in Ephesus. So Paul knows them very well. He spends two years with them. He's now in prison, but he is writing them this letter. And he says to them, to the saints who are in Ephesus, he calls them saints. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, those must have been really special people. They must have had really all things together. He must have been an amazing bunch. And sometimes we, we just have the wrong view of what a saint is. Uh, partly because of sort of uh, Roman Catholic teaching. I mean, you might think of a saint as someone who's got this bubble around his head or a halo or someone who's extra special or sort of the Wikipedia definition. Is a saint is a person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness or likeness to God. And, and we think that there's only certain people in this world who are saints. Only certain people who have halos around their head. And it certainly isn't me. And part of the reason we kind of think that way is because, I mean, a lot of our culture has been influenced uh, somewhat, at least in this area, by the Roman Catholic teaching of what it is to be a saint. In fact, just to show you, here is um, uh, Father James Martin, who is a Roman Catholic. Uh, he kind of humorously says, here's the 10 steps and how you can become a saint. And so if you've ever wanted to be a saint, here's what you need to do. Uh, number one, you need to be, become a Roman Catholic. If you're part of our church, you can't be a saint. You need to convert to Roman Catholicism, and then you might be able to become a saint. Secondly, you have to die. There's no such thing as a living saint, only dead saints. Uh, number three, there has to be this devotion that grows up around your memory. So after you die, you need to become kind of more popular than you were. Your life needs to be investigated to make sure that you were truly holy. Make sure there's none of that stuff going on in your life. Uh, number five, the local bishop sends your case to the Vatican. They check it out. Then you got to perform a miracle. Now, you could have performed it while you were alive, but you also could have performed it after you're dead, and it needs to be checked out so the, the miracle is investigated. And number, number eight, the Vatican uh, declares you blessed. But then before you're saint, you need to do another miracle, which needs to be investigated, and then finally, you can become a saint. And we kind of think this, like, well, I'm not a saint. It's only these really special people that are saints. Well, actually, Paul very clearly says to these guys in Ephesus, that you're a saint. And don't get the church wrong. I mean, don't think, well, that church must have never had any gossip. It must have not have been a church like ours. No one ever judged each other there. Everybody was just always welcoming. And, and now they were a messy church, just like our church is messy, and all the churches are messy. 
In fact, the messiest church in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, you know what Paul calls them? Saints. And so if you are here and a follower of Jesus, the reality is you are a saint. You may not feel like a saint. I may not have a halo over your head, but the reality is you are a saint. And the word saint actually means to be made holy. It means to be set apart. And if you're in Christ, this is what you are. You have been made holy and set apart. This is what Hebrews 10 says. It says we, that this is you love Jesus, this is you. We have been made holy. That, that's past tense. You're holy. You're a saint. You're set apart. And you're like, well, I, I don't know. I still I don't do everything right. Well, look what it says. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We're a saint not because we're so good, but because Jesus is so good. You are a saint because Jesus Christ is that amazing who has made you holy and you are in him. And biblically, our identity as Christians is primarily a saint. And a lot of people miss this. A lot of people have kind of a wrong idea with this. And, and we'll give you a little test here. Let's say that you're, uh, you're like thrown into the very presence of God. I mean, he's just right there. And, and you're just in his glory like never before. And this angel comes up to you and says, who are you in the presence of God? What's your, what's your identity in the presence of God? How should you carry yourself in the presence of God? And, and here's three things you might say. A, would you say, well, I'm a lowly sinner? Or would you say, I, I'm so unworthy? Or would you say, I am a saint? The right answer, New Testament-wise, is I'm a saint. I mean, you might be tempted to say, well, I'm such a sinner. I don't know if I can be in your presence. You know, I mess up all the time, and you're so holy, and I'm not. I'm so unworthy. That's not New Testament language for your identity in the presence of God. The New Testament language for your identity in the presence of God is, I am I'm a saint. Not because I'm so good, but because Jesus is so good, and I've received the gift of sainthood. Or we could go on a scale from zero to ten. Uh, how would you see yourself in relation to God? Now, where would you put a marker, like kind of maybe half sinner, half saint? If you put the dot anywhere lower than nine, you're, you're missing the New Testament reality of what it means to be in Jesus. Uh, the New Testament is very clear when it comes to our identity. Over 60 times, the New Testament identifies Jesus' followers as saints, there are only two or three, and it's even debatable at that, where our identity is labeled as being a sinner. When we meet Jesus, he moves us from sinner to saint. Now, there's a lot in the New Testament about sinners, but it's always those people who are not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, your identity is radically changed from sinner to saint. We must not think of our identity as sinners any longer. That's not New Testament language. Now you say, well, does this mean we don't sin? Well, of course we sin. I mean, the Bible is very clear that we still sin. First uh, John uh, 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so what happens is, is we're no longer a sinner. We're a saint who sometimes sins. So we need to see ourselves. And even texts like this that talk about the fact that we do sin are clothed in words of sainthood. I mean, look at this in context. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Made holy. That's what a saint is. Someone who is holy. And yes, we do, have, we do sin. But then it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That he has made us into saints and we need to carry ourselves as saints and walk through this life as saints and you've got to realize that you're a saint and if you can just get one thing out of this message is you're a saint and your homework for this week is just to walk around this week saying i'm a saint Jesse's a saint and Curtis is a saint and and I'm a saint I'm a saint and and just to get that because this idea of being in the presence of God where you're so unworthy or you're just a sinner you're a new creation you've been brought near your sin has been dealt with that is the language of the New Testament and the reason is again it's not like I'm a saint because I'm so good I'm a super Christian no we're a saint Because it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are in Christ Jesus. The most common title for a Christian in the New Testament is being in Christ. Or in him, uh, in Jesus. Uh, Sainthood is about 60 times. Being in Christ is over 200 times. You know the idea that we call ourselves Christians? Well, I'm a Christian. You know that's only found a couple times in the New Testament? I don't even know if it's the best word anymore. Usually when people say, hey, hey, are you a Christian? I always ask them, well, what do you mean by that? And they tell me what they mean by it, and I say, well, I'm not one of those. Because they usually, I mean, our society is the wrong idea. I mean, the major phrase in the Bible is in Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity is in Jesus. And as a Christian, you cannot separate who you are from being in Christ. It's like your, your, your as that song we sang, his blood flows through your veins you are a branch attached to the vine that your very essence your life your blood is flowing in christ and this is why we are saints a couple verses later on ephesians we'll talk more about this later but in him we have redemption through the blood the forgiveness of sins Uh, romans 8 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are and there's our phrase in christ jesus And if you just want to start reading through the book of Ephesians this week, uh, one thing you can start doing is just every time you see in him or in Christ, just circle it. You'll find it more in the book of Ephesians than any other book because it's a book about who you are. And when you are in Christ, and we're going to talk lots more about this in the next couple of weeks, uh, we receive all the benefits of Christ. I mean, it's like an airplane. If you want the benefits of an airplane flying from Vancouver to uh, Toronto, it doesn't help to be behind the plane. Or under the plane. If you want to have the benefits of the plane, you need to be in the plane. And when we are in Christ, we have all the benefits of Jesus. Forgiveness, new creation, a child of God, and so many things that we are going to be talking uh, about. Now, three quick uh, things and we're done. If you see your identity as a sinner rather than a saint, you will tend to relate to God at a distance. Again, we are primarily to see our identity as saints, not as sinners. That's just clearly the language of the New Testament and as Christians. If you see your identity primarily as a sinner, as an unworthy, dirty, rotten sinner in the presence of God, you will tend to relate to God at a distance. Uh, Luke 5 
says this, when Simon Peter saw this, this is the miracle Jesus did, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Stay away. Because there's something that when we come across someone who is holy, we're just like, I can't go near you. You're too perfect. I'm not. I'm miserable. And we kind of tend to pull away. The whole language of us as being in Christ is language of closeness. That there is no more barrier between you and God. That you are holy. That we are seated with him uh, in Christ. That he no longer calls us slaves but friends. Uh, Ephesians 2 says, in Christ. Again, that's the secret. In Christ, Jesus. You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That there is no more barrier between you and God. And we need to see ourselves as saints who, as Hebrews says, can boldly go in to the throne room of grace like there is no barrier between me and God. Again, not because I have it all together, but because Jesus has it all together and I am in him. And so you need to see your identity as a saint, not a sinner. Secondly, if you see your identity as a sinner rather than a saint, you just, you just insult Jesus. It's very insulting to Jesus if you walk around seeing your identity more of a sinner than a saint. And the reason is, Jesus did everything for you to make you a saint. And to reject that gift and not receive that gift is incredibly insulting. I mean, if you, I mean, just spent, say your friend is sick or something like that, and, and he's about to die, and, and you go for years looking for the secret cure, and, and you risk your life, and you finally find it, and you bring it back, and you give it to him, and he's just like... Oh, I'm just going to keep dying, and I'm so unworthy to take your gift. And I mean, you say, like, I did everything for you. Take it. He offers you sainthood, redemption, forgiveness, grace. He offers you to be walking as a son and daughter. And for you to say, well, I'm still some unworthy sinner, and, you know, I, I can't really come into God's presence until I really have all things together, is very insulting to the work that Christ and the gift that he has given you. And we could talk a lot more about that, but... Now lastly, if you see your identity as a sinner rather than a saint, you will live at a lower level of life. Your identity, it, it determines your activity. The way you see yourself is the way you carry yourself. The way you see yourself is the way that, that you will just walk through life. If you see yourself primarily in the presence of God as a sinner, you will just by nature make excuses for your sin. Why well, I, I gossip because I'm a sinner. Yeah, I mess up, and everybody messes up because we're just all sinners, and I'm a sinner. And, and you just kind of live at this low level because your identity is wrapped up in your sin. So when you're sin, you're just like, that's who I am. That's not who you are in Christ. You're a saint. Yeah, who sins sometimes, but you are a saint, and that is like your identity, and that determines the road that you travel. I mean, when you realize that you are a saint, and the language of the New Testament is all about the fact that you have died to sin. You don't, sin doesn't have power over your life anymore. You're not a sinner. You're a saint who has power over sin. There's a couple of verses here, like Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase because we're sinners? He's like, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? You have died to sin. Your identity is no longer a sinner. You've died to it. Now Romans 8, 11, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation 
to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That by nature, you're not a sinner primarily. You're a saint who has died to sin, who now, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you, you have power over your sin. And greater is he that is in you than is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than any sin that you face. And I tell you, when you begin to learn to walk as a saint, and you start this week just saying, I'm a saint, I'm a saint. You just begin to live like a saint. When you're tempted, you're like, ah, man, that's lower than me. I'm a saint. Some kind of gossip you have, some juicy piece of gossip, and you're tempted to share that gossip. You're like, hey, man, I'm a saint. That's below me. I like what Dr. Dane Ortland said. He says, I'm a sinner. I sin. Not just the past, but in the present. But in Christ, I am not a sinner, but cleansed. Whole and as I step out into my day in soul calm because of that free gift of cleansing, I find that actually, strangely, startlingly, I begin to live out practically what I already am positionally. The more you see yourself as a saint, the more you see yourself as a son and daughter, and we're going to talk next week about being seated with Christ, and it's going to be an important message that will probably radically change some of your thinking it will just cause you to live at a higher plane in this world. Uh, the language of the New Testament is new creation, redemption, forgiveness, a child of God, a saint. Your identity is no longer that of some unworthy sinner in the presence of God. You're a child who can come boldly into his presence again. It's not because we're so good, but because he is so good. Because we're in Jesus. And therefore get all the benefits of Jesus. That we're actually co-heirs with Christ. That right now, positionally, you know, you are seated at the right hand of God because we are in Christ, in Him, and He is at the right hand of God. And just walk in that blessing that Christ has given you. Uh, and next week, we're going to, not the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this kind of thing. Identity, who are you? Uh, where do you get your life from? Where do you get your identity from? Because the more you realize who you are in Christ, I mean, the more you're just going to live for Jesus. We're going to close with a song today, and so we'll call the worship song team up. And as I get ready, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for making us your children. God, we thank you that you have given us a new identity. That you've taken the identity of sinner and you've changed us into being a saint. God, I pray you would help us to grasp that, to, to, to begin to grasp that this week. That, that I'm a saint, that, that, that we're saints in you because of your goodness and because of your grace. And so to you we praise you, to you we sing, to you we say thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.